Rob Wasserman is a Grammy-winning bassist who is best known for his trilogy of albums Solo, Duets, and Trios. He is also a founding member of the band Rat Dog with Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead and spent 25 years playing bass with Lou Reed. Rob is simply one of the greatest musicians of his generation. Let's start the conversation. All right, here we are. Uh, another edition of the Chris Kirkwood podcast. We have uh, how many time Grammy winner? Once. Once. <laughs> One time Grammy winner, uh, but multiple nominations. I know. Uh-huh. Uh, Rob Wasserman. Uh, one of the great bass players of the last uh, 30 years, easily, uh, has played with Bob Weir, Lou Reed, Ricky Lee Jones, uh, Elvis Costello, pretty much, you know, half the uh, great <laughs> musicians of the last 30 years. That's right. Hi, everybody. Oh, and this, this, is, is, this is Chris Kirkwood. I'm Bill hello. Cody. I'm the producer of the show. Yes, and I'm I always just... forget all these things <laughs> in the beginning. And Chris Kirkwood is here. He is the... Uh, voice of the Chris Kirkwood The host podcast. of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. Yes, there we go. Thank you very much. I'm here with Bill Cody, our producer, and Craig, who's in the uh, engineering booth. And it's our privilege today to have Rob Wasserman in the studio with us. Thank and you. we're going to chat a little bit. You're welcome. And we're going to chat a little bit about some of the stuff you've done and who you are. And, and I guess, you know, what it's like to have been a musician your whole life, you know. And maybe that's something we can, you know, relate to each other about. Definitely. You know, it seems like I, I, I have done that as well in my own fumbling way <laughs> so how did you get into music are you from a musical family are you were your folk musicians no um i've wondered that i actually have wondered about that a few times right <laughs> yeah me too I, all i remember of my parents uh with music was my dad liked to sing mm-hmm. and um he actually passed away last year so it's mm-hmm. been a year sorry to hear that morning but um he played the trumpet in high school. I never, I heard him play a few times when I was growing up, and he wasn't too good anymore. <laughs> but um, he gave up music, you know, to have a family. And back in his day, they just didn't do music. Very right. few people were able to do music as per careers, right. unless they, uh, you know, I guess some people, but he didn't choose that. And But he did play the trumpet, but he mainly sang while we're driving around. Right. And I thought it was really corny, funny. You know, I, I, that's kind of. You know, I didn't come from a musical background, you know. And uh, mom though would sing when we were little kids, driving around. You know? Same thing. Yeah, you know, my mom sang. Mom was well, singing, and, and uh, we actually on our first album covered a song that we learned from our mom. Uh, the the uh, Sons of the Pioneers version of <laughs> Tumble and Tumbleweeds. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and you know, and that was one of the ones we got. And she would sing, you know, stuff that like I think she kinda gotten it off of her father in a way, some of these things, mm-hmm. you know, it's these older kind of forties and fifties kind of things in a way. So but where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh Northern California in San Mateo. Did you? Yeah. And then uh moved over to Marin County. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, you know, it's sort of like a it's a suburb of San Francisco. Right. Used to have some character when I grew up. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was a lot of old stuff stolen. They tore it all down now, and it's lost all its character. Yeah, no, that seems to happen. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. from Phoenix, you know, so mm-hmm. there, there never was a lot of old stuff there to, to begin with, really. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, the place hasn't been around that long. Arizona just became a state in 1912, so Phoenix isn't that old of a city. But even <laughs> the, even the stuff that was there, you know, they've they've definitely kind of 
raised. Right. You know, just so. And, and it's also, the, uh, I've seen that city go from being a heck of a lot smaller, you know. It's a huge city. To, to a pretty big city, you know, just, yeah. and, and to see like a, to see them go out, you know, because it's in the middle of the Sonoran Desert, you know, which is a, you right. know, it's a cool environment and, and a very, like, uh, sensitive or whatever, you know, and unique environment unto itself, you know, it's just that one little strip that exists where like the saguaro mm-hmm. cactus grow and that kind of thing. And to see, you know, them have it become like a, a developer's playground or whatever, you know, where they just go in and they make these pre-planned communities, you know, flatten the, the, the desert and then put in fake desert with you know, <laughs> plastic lining underneath it, you know, so the weeds don't come in and whatnot, you know, right. so similar kind of experience. But I still live up there. Do you live up in Northern California still or are you down here you know, in LA? Um, um, I, we, my wife and I, Veronica, Veronica and I moved to uh, Los Angeles for, you know, like, five years ago I think Uh um you like it down here yeah we started we were living way in in rural northern California like this place called Point Reyes very opposite where we are now where you'd have we'd have like mountain lions and deer in the morning walking past us and they they had a mountain lion in Los Feliz I I know a few blocks we lived there you were like right near it Veronica said look and it was like uh, she realized we were like three blocks away from the mountain lion God, in the middle uh, of Los Angeles. I mean, think of the, how did, how, it's the route bizarre. that it took to get there. So we live near Griffith Park now, which is sort of like where we were living, except there was nothing, no city around where we were living. And our idea of fun was like the only restaurant at night was like a little trailer that pulled into town with, with Chinese food. <laughs> and we'd be like really excited because that was something different, you know. And um and it was a fun place to go after touring all the time, just to go home to this sort of rural lifestyle. I sort of miss that. We miss that, but we we wanted a sunnier place to live because it was foggy there and like in the 30s in the winter, and really that was the bad part. And in the summer, there'd be like massive like bug invasions because we're in the middle of a forest. So we'd be go outside for the sun, and all of a sudden you're surrounded by these swarming things and. So and we moved to LA. The good parts again? The good parts were <laughs> nature. <laughs> nature, okay. And the ocean was a mile away, and we'd just go down there, and there'd be no one there. And, yeah. and we, it was beautiful. Hmm. Tamales, you know, bay and all that. Yeah. It's just really gorgeous. But we, we started looking for places and kept going south until we ended up in Los Feliz. <laughs> and now we love the weather. Yeah. But it's pretty, you know, it's a city. That's a big town. This, <laughs> this is a big you know batch of humanity definitely yeah and uh, I've, I've you know i've come over here a lot and like all of our early records came out of los angeles and we really you know just were over here a lot you know out in the valley originally out in van nuys spent a lot of time out there yeah and then yeah. D- down in like hermosa and redondo you know spent a lot of time down there and just been over here so That's many fun. times and it's always been a little intimidating to me you know because it's just such a big place and there's so many people that i kind of lose myself oh yeah you know? And I mean, that's that's something I noticed just like when we started touring, mm-hmm. you know, how you drive into a town and you go by row after row of houses, you know, and all, and all of these people, none of these people are, all of them are not coming to the show. You know, there's going to be a couple hundred like kids at the show right. or something like that, you know, and, and each one of those houses has their own individual smell of the, you know, the family's smell or whatever mm-hmm. and the, the, the trials and tribulations that go on in it, you know, and it's always found that a little bit confounding you know just unsettling in a, in there's a lot here way. sort of overwhelming that i um spent a lot of time 
with Veronica trying to create a beautiful garden. Right. Just to recreate, you know, to have nature surrounding us. Yeah. And it's uh, it's challenging because there's only so much you can block out. You know? Right. Definitely. Definitely. You still hear sirens and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then traffic. try to get around in this town. You know, I mean, it's just you know. It's well, like, forget about it. It's sort of sad. You know, it's like you want to go to the beach. It's like okay, well maybe we woke up too late today to go. Right. Because it takes so long to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> so you're a, you're a kid then. Dad mm-hmm. sings a little bit. Mom sings a little bit. That's about it. At yeah. what point, what what drew you to music? I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I was told, and I vaguely remember banging on things when I was little. Mm-hmm. And parents um, had a, bought a piano. I played that a little when mm-hmm. I was very young. And then, like, and back then they had music education right. in the schools, in the grammar school. I remember they made you choose an, or an instrument. It wasn't like an option. It wasn't like it was a you class. had to try to play music. It, right. Everyone played music, right. stole, and which was a great thing. And right. they brought the San Francisco Symphony over to play wow. for us, a little, you know, community service, so you could hear what they really sounded like music. I wanted to play drums, basically. Right. It's a short, long story <laughs> and a short story. And I was banging on all the pots and pans all the time, and my parents refused to buy me anything <laughs> percussion. Probably because they knew it would be horrible for them. <laughs> right. I, I grew up playing drums, and every time I practiced, my parents would be like, "Oh yeah, um, we gotta go to the store." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I stole. You know, that's how I practice. And when I'm not really practicing, I bang on things, and people are always looking at me like, "Why is he making all that noise?" You know, with his fingers. But that's how I've always practiced with the bass. Is just um, tapping on things. Uh, rhythms and things and I think I did start that when I was very I remember doing that when I was very little so even without a drum kit you, you, you know I've always been into percussion and that but the in the school they they suggested I think they suggested violin uh-huh. uh, you know one of those things and um, I was playing piano I think I had a few piano lessons and then I started the violin when I was eight and then I played it till I was 12, and I, I got really, um, you know, comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped at 12 when the Beatles uh, started invading everything. Okay. Because it was so unpopular, you know, I just caved into the pressure and just stopped playing music. Because, uh, you know, carrying a violin was like the wrong thing to do back then. <laughs> right. You had to wear a wig or something <laughs> right. and play a guitar. Right. But so I just... Uh, I, at that point, I could stop playing music, and then I remember buying a guitar when I was a teenager, carrying it around and playing chords all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was a young teenager, but I didn't play string bass. I bought a string bass when I was 18. When you are 18? Uh, I don't know why. I think it was... I had an electric bass. I don't know why I had that or why I bought one, and mm-hmm. I didn't feel comfortable playing one at the time. But I still have it, luckily. Right, the same it's one. It's a Fender Jazz. Oh, nice. From the seven, uh, six. When, when was that? Sixty, I don't know. It was, it was around late sixties or right. something. So it's valuable, and I've had right. people want to buy it. I started out on a jazz bass myself, right? Uh-huh. And and uh, it was like. The way I got into playing music, I saw, I saw the movie Deliverance when it came out. 
you know same here you know and, and <laughs> i saw that and i was the, the banjo sequence just struck me you know so i was probably 13 or something and i got a banjo and i played that for a few years and actually had a good time on that and that then, was very uh, popular for a while again it was it was cool you know and i had yeah. a teacher that was real kind of you know neat and it, i mean it, it's where i first discovered like the joy of playing in a way you know and what mm-hmm. what uh what i could get out of it you know like actually sitting there practicing and getting to the point maybe getting to the point where like the rolls would come off you know and the, the implied melody would come through and i was really i love the banjo taken now. with that back then i i don't even think i thought i could play anything i don't even know what i wise i played rhythm guitar but i didn't take lessons yeah and I still play guitar, but I, I don't really, you know, it's just for fun and composing, but it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. I just go by ear, and it, I love doing that. Our mom had us take lessons when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, a guitar teacher would actually come to the house, and after school, you know, I'd have a little bit of lessons from that guy. And I remember he used to, like, rub my knee and tell me how much he liked me, you know what Uh-oh. I mean? <laughs> and, I, and, he, and he'd tell me, you know, you're not supposed to, I don't want you to tell anybody this, but I really like you, you know, and I'd be oh, like going... God. Yeah, that's, that's great. Like you deliverance. Know. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, it's totally <laughs> deliverance. I'm like, oh, I'm moving on. So I didn't, I didn't really, it was kind of weirded me out, you know, and then looking back on it, I realized, you know, that was kind of improper, you know, oh, improper in a way, you know. But it definitely, I used to actually go home from school at a point and I'd pretend like I was taking a nap and, you know, like I couldn't wake up, you know, for my guitar lesson. I didn't like it, you know. My brother, who's our guitar player, actually kind of took to the guitar a little bit and then went on to uh, take some lessons from... Yeah, you know, in, in like bebop stuff from this guy, oh, McClarty, cool. that had this music uh, store up in Sunny Slope, the part of the suburb of Phoenix that we grew up in. And, you know, that guy had been like Barney Kessel compatriot oh, or something, you know great. what I mean? So Kirk got a little bit of background in that. And But guitar didn't take, and then I took uh, piano lessons up at that music store. And I, the piano teacher was a real nice guy, but he was an elderly gentleman, you know. And I didn't, I didn't practice. I didn't like that either, you know. It just wasn't what I was into at the time. I had a monkey. I love my monkey. His name was <laughs> Abner. <laughs> I had to have a monkey, and he's uh, a little squirrel monkey. So I mean, I had other interests, you know. And uh, and I used to sit funny. there. I remember the piano teacher, like I would be playing my my piece that I was supposed to have practiced. Mm-hmm. So I'd be kind of stumbling through it slowly at the beginning, and I would notice his head kind of tilt down. And he, you know, he was, he was old enough so that he'd kind of sit there and take little naps, you know. And mm-hmm. I'd just sit there real quietly while he was napping. And then as soon as I saw him start to kind of wake up, I'd be like, bling, bling. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the, the piano didn't take either, you know. But the banjo turned me on to music in a cool way. That suddenly was like the same thing. Like, you know, I had to have a monkey. Suddenly I had to have a banjo, you know. And I got that and played that for a while. And then uh, at a point, suddenly, and I think it was probably through Guitar Player Magazine or something. Maybe my brother had him around because he kind of continued to play guitar. Uh, I noticed it was like when Leo Fender came out with Music Man, you know, mm-hmm. and it just come out, and I thought they just looked so cool. I just thought the bass looked cool, you know. It de- yeah, I think that's why I about it got a bass too. You know, a bit it was like, bass. And, and that one was so neat. And uh, I uh, didn't have the money to pay for it outright, but there was this music store in Phoenix, in Glendale, actually, you know, suburb, you know, suburb Phoenix. of Phoenix. Yeah, that uh, I could finance the thing through. Right, and oh. so I've set up the financing thing, you know. And I mean, I'm like, you know, I was probably 16 at the time. And when I went in to actually, you know, put down the down payment and get the bass, you know, it, it was like a sunburst music man, you know. Mm. And it was, it's just like I had my eye on it. But the guy, like, you know, was like, yeah, that's a nice bass, but this one's gonna have more resale value, right? And he sold me a jazz bass. Oh, right? 
You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh, you know, I was like young enough to not really know that maybe he was just trying to get that thing off the shelf or something, you know, mm. but, but, uh, so that was like a 75 or 76 jazz bass and that would probably be wow. worth a little bit of money at the same time, you know, but. I like them now. I mean, the funny thing is like back when I started the bass guitar, I played and, you know, literally had friends, all our friends came over and played in their parents' garage and the police right. would come every time. Right. But we'd get to turn up stuff really loud for a few minutes, and it was a lot of fun. Right. But I never, I don't remember ever really f knowing, figuring out how to get it right with the bass guitar. But I think it's because I started on the violin, and I was better with fretless. Right. So I, you know, but I love now. I'm I play bass guitar again, because when I was last a few years with Lou Reed, he handed me his Fender. Um, wasn't a jazz bass. It was a, a f p bass. P bass, yeah. I <laughs> forget all that stuff. And it was old. It was another one of those like '60s or something, really old. And he said he was going to play bass in one song. And he said, "Now, nah, bucket, you play." Then I and it was like he knew I didn't play. Right. He handed it to me and said, "Come on." So I did it, and I just I enjoyed it. And then I, all of a sudden, I was playing half the show with his bass. Right. And he's, you know, he sort of challenged me to, like, let go of, you know, we already know you can play upright bass, so right. why don't you try this? You right. know? Either that or it was no threat. It was just like, that's what I want. So right. I did it. <laughs> right. It's my game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's the bass player's curse, you know? But I, but I had fun. It was more about, like, not playing it as an upright player like letting go and really feeling that bass instead right. of trying to be a, you know like try to make it an upright it wasn't yeah uh, i'll say this i just having played electric primarily you know right my whole life you know, you know i've played upright a little bit and it's i, I think the transition over to the upright is it's, it's a little bit it's tough you know because without the frets you oh know? yeah so i mean i wound up putting little dots on the Side yeah. Of the neck, you know what I mean? Because I don't yeah. know the positions and all that kind of stuff. And I've always been, you know, just amazed by that. You know, just the ability to like, you know, especially I mean, you started on violin. Those necks are so small. You know. I know. That you get the to get the positions and get down there where they're like those tiny little notes. You know, and like, and to be able to just nail them. You know, and I admire violinists that can play in tune. <laughs> so it's, it's incredible. It's challenging, but upright too. You know, because you hear a lot of bowing with the upright and. It's really hard, you know, especially after you've been playing a lot with loud, you know, rock musicians, right. and you're the one guy that's bowing right. or plucking, and then after two hours, you have to hear that note because there's nothing, even with a dot, you still have to get right, right on, get it, on yeah. it, and that's challenging. Um, even to this day, it's always challenging right. to me to hear, at the, you know, during the show and yeah. play in tune, and it sounds simplistic, but that's really important yeah. for me. And um, especially if you're, you know, so often I play with bass guitar and I'm the bower. Right. So I have to lock in and, and you know, that, you know, it is challenging. But on the other hand, I find it just challenging to play the guitar bass because it's more, even if with the frets, it's, it's a feeling, you know, and not being, if you're, when I approached it, I started getting it when I I started really letting go of my preconceptions, right? And just okay, play 
play it, treat it as a new instrument instead of what I think it should be, like an upright bass that's with frets. Right. Which is actually something I always wanted. So this friend of mine who I an upright with frets to make an upright with frets that he never would. He just said it would be too difficult. Hmm. Um, though he's made a cello with frets now, but you know, just water it in the. I don't know. I start you know, and I did start off on bass guitar, but I gave up on it really quickly. Right, and and then you got a string bass. Yeah, after a couple of years of not playing anything I, except just carrying a guitar with me on camping trips, you know, mm-hmm. um, I got a string bass at a pawn shop, and I don't even know why I got it. I just liked it. Yeah, they're beautiful instruments. They look yeah, cool, and that's know? still my bass. It's from the '30s. Oh, it's still, a still bass. have the same bass. Yeah, oh, lovely. I still it's have like my a pre World War Two. Huh? It's a pre World wow. War Two. Um, it's a great bass. Uh, kind of it. Well, it doesn't have a label, but it's been the people that work on it say it's in the thir- early thirties, right. and it's probably it, it's either German or Czech. But it's one of those bases that got its identity lost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now the war will do that to yeah. bases. I don't know how it ended up in San Mateo. <laughs> right. That's the big question Long, mark. twisted trip. <laughs> so when did you start your first, you know, kind of more professional? Well, you went, you yeah. went to the conservatory. Yeah, right? I um, I took some private lessons. I did take some lessons on the string bass. Did you? From a guy who used to be in the Sim- San Francisco Symphony. And that was helpful? It was very helpful. And very helpful, I would imagine. And he helped me learn a few things. And I don't know, I, you know, I, I just took to it, and I learned, um, I wanted, I think I was take, I learned the overture to the marriage of Figaro. Sweet. The one thing I learned, you know, mm-hmm. it took me, I don't know how long, but I learned it by heart. I, you know, I was better at memorizing than reading. Right. Which I'm, which I sort of regret, because you have to be able to read uh, if you want to do more than just what I'm doing, you know, what it. If you want to expand, right. be in an orchestra and all that. But anyway, I wanted to, I had a fantasy about being a classical musician. Okay. And so I started taking extension classes at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And really had fun, learned a lot. And then I decided to audition for the school <laughs> with that one piece, and they let me in. And um, then I just tried to do something I don't think I was really cut out to be a symphony musician because I like to improvise so much and so I you know make a long story short I would improvise classical music during the orchestra right they didn't like that (laughs) (laughs) they didn't like that the conductors actually know the parts I realized you're right so they would be yelling at me and they always yelled at me in German or something oh lord (laughs) and I never understood but I did know that they were mad they didn't they were angry at me because I was always changing the parts because I didn't really read that well so I'd be like copying the cello players not knowing there was a little difference right um or you know, I mean, it was a asset to be able to improvise, but it was a negative to not be able to read well and not um, take it seriously. And then I, I started doing jazz gigs at night all the time and be snoring in the classes in the daytime, you know, and it'd be yelling, you know, the teachers would be trying to wake me up and I'd be up till five in the morning and I'd go in and so I went through a couple of bass teachers and then I 
finally had a really serious one that just kept trying to get me out of the school because he was like bringing in these world-class guys that want you know that were like competing and auditioning and were all the youth orchestras when I got into the music school I was like I think I was the only upright bass player for a couple months and then they started getting new people and so I you know didn't get along with him and but I stayed for almost four years and then I just decided I wanted to improvise I was playing with Charles Moff uh, Charles Moffat drummer in his loft in East Oakland. He used to play with Ornette Coleman. Right. And I did better at that. You did better at that. That's a little bit more improvisational. Yeah. Right. It was all improvisational. So yeah. when was when when is this now? What like time frame about? Like oh the gosh. late sixties? No. Or, uh, early seventies? Mid seventies? It was uh around yeah, seventy uh, I started music school a little late. I was around 21, so 73, 74. Okay. And, um, right around the same time, a, a little kid out in the desert decided yeah. to start playing banjo. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I thought music school, I mean, it was a great experience. Right. It just that once I got some serious symphonic teacher, and he just wanted these, like, guys that won competitions, and right. I wasn't into that, and I was. I mean, it's such different. a disciplined world. It's you know, I mean, it just seems like you know the orchestral side of things. Yeah, I th I yeah. actually thought I wanted to be in a symphony until I got him as a teacher, and then you know realized that wasn't going to work. Right. And then I had this like Sufi improv teacher. I don't know how he ended up in that music school, and I did really well at that. Right. He was a Sufi. He was a Sufi. Nice. And he used to write music, orchestrate for Stan Kenton, I think, in big bands, and he taught jazz and. So I really liked him as a teacher. And I played all these jazz gigs at night and just hung out, and I was having a lot of fun. And the, I mean, the school, like, one of the things that, I mean, just myself, you know, I got into playing the bass, and my brother had been playing guitar and stuff, but we didn't really, like, it wasn't like a dream of ours, you know, we didn't hang, we weren't that close even in a way as teens, right. you know, and it was kind of something that I was doing on my own, and he actually started playing in bands, you know, like cover bands and stuff. And uh, I I liked the actual act of doing it. I thought it was fun to do. I would never really envisioned myself like, you know, being a professional musician or anything. But I just it was something I found interesting. And when I re uh, financed that bass, they part of the financial agreement or the financing agreement was that I would take lessons out at the at the uh, music store. And I had this guy Raul Tapia, and the lessons were ostensibly uh -huh. jazz improv lessons, basically, you know. But I mean, and it was only for like three months, you know. But that it, can really help. It helped me a lot. I mean, the main thing he taught me mm -hmm. was like I learned the neck, you know. I learned what the notes were, you know, mm -hmm. that, and then just simple like you know the one four five or one you know one five octave kind of thing, you know, boom, you know, just real straightforward kind of stuff, you know. And and then I wanted to, you know, it's, I was always kind of a, like interested in taking it further and it's one of the things that I n didn't do right mm -hmm. because like went from that shortly thereafter you know after playing for a while and, and then to finally just starting the band with my brother you know the Meat Puppets with my brother mm -hmm. and it's really the only band I've ever been in you know other than you know I've since you know I've done a few other little things with some friends and here and there but that was so like uh, not about like anything other than this like just expression you know in a way you know what we were doing and and, and you know punk rock kind of 
influenced it as well. And it suddenly was like, well, I don't have to bother with all the rest of that. You know, I can just go ahead and, you know, call yeah. myself a musician, you know. That's great. But as a somebody that really digs playing, you know what I mean? I've, I've, mm -hmm. I've often kind of rude the fact that I don't have a bit more actual knowledge. You know what I mean? Because, like, if I want to go for something, I, I, I'm, like, hoping to, to get what I'm trying to get to. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like, like improvisationally or something, as opposed to actually knowing, well, I, you know, that's a subdominant tonic fifth diminished or something you know what i mean there where i don't have a whole lot of theoretical background and and you know it, it's just something that i you know didn't do uh for myself or didn't do you know didn't get the knowledge of or whatever and and yet growing up i mean some of the guys that i were into i was definitely into you know the 70s stuff there was so many good players you know and oh, guys yeah. that really know how to play and i still listen to you know i love a lot of that old bebop stuff yeah. you know and you listen to those bass players and they, they, their ability to like walk around in a chord, you know what I mean? And then the transitions that they do and stuff. And it's just, it's like, man, you know? And so now you're playing the upright. You're feeling mm -hmm. comfortable, like improv, improvising, doing jazz stuff and, right. and that kind of thing. Then, uh, I mean, how did it go from that to, because there's probably a lot of people that do, you know, some gigs and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, you're up in the Bay Area. Maybe that's part of it. But. Well, like your first—I mean, I, you played with like Van Morrison early on, didn't you? Like when uh -huh. you were pretty young. Yeah. You know, I mean, how did that come about? How did you wind up playing with somebody like Van Morrison? Um, you know, I've been trying to remember that, but <laughs> <laughs> how it, that happened? Uh, it was a recording session. Uh, I remember him um, asking him because I just got a call from him or his manager or somebody about a session. Can I do a session? So I think it was because they told me they called because he saw that I won some, um, I don't even know what it was called, a BAMI or something back then, a Barium Music Award thing. As like the bass, as bass player award. Right. And he was looking for new people for a recording. And uh, he explained to me, and I, guess, I don't remember if he called me or... But he did explain to me he was wanted to do a record, just upright bass, um, him, and um, percussion. I think uh -huh. might have been percussion. No, it wasn't percussion. I think it was like no percussion, just like a flute or something. <laughs> upright bass, sort of band. like a moon dance. <laughs> upright bass, band worse than a flute. Yeah, <laughs> and um, that's how it started. And he. I said, you know, I went into the studio in Sausalito at the plant, mm -hmm. it's called. Right. And um, we just started jamming. And after a day, he decided to add, I think he added drums, and uh, like a rock drummer. Right. So he sort of decided, eh, I don't think I'm going to do this that way. Quite so light. But it was great. It was a great experience. You, you know, it was improv there were no bass parts or no any parts it was totally improv but he had he had his stuff he had his stuff but it wasn't i guess i mean singer songwriter and i just played along with him basically play along with the chords kind of and jam jam yeah on. and i'm not sure if he had chords then or he just had the words he had words for right. sure but we played and i never heard any of that stuff i never i don't know what happened to it it never got released no no but then the album got released, but it turned into a rock drummer. And, um, and after a couple of days of this drummer, me and him, and a flute player, <laughs> then he uh, got Mark Knopfler. Uh, and okay. he came in. That 
that turned into the record. And that's before the Dire Straits. Existed. No, that was right after his big. It was um, right after the hit. So this is like hit. early '80s. No, I think it was. Maybe it was early '80s. I don't know. It I might don't. have been late '70s. Late Whenever 70s. that hit was, because that's when I knew about Mark Knopfler. Also, um, he was like the big, a big, um, whatever that song was. The uh, Sultan's a swing. Yeah, the yeah. first big hit. Yeah, and um, so he, when I went in the studio, and there was Mark Knopfler, and I heard about it, that song, and or I heard that song. And he took like a day to set up, and I, I wrote, I remember is that Van Morrison was sort of upset he was so slow because he just he didn't bring a tech, Mark Knopfler. I guess he flew him in from England or uh -huh. wherever he was living. And um, he just spent all day tuning. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> so the one thing I remember from that was like Van Morrison, I was sitting in the control room with him, and I was just sitting there waiting, and I was like, uh, you know, this is a big experience for me. Um, first big rock recording session. Oh, yeah. He was saying, like, who does he think he is, a rock star? <laughs> and I was like, I never Van forgot said that. that. Yeah, yeah, Van said that about Mark. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amusing. Was Van a nice guy? I mean, did you get along with him well? And was he Well, he was, he was um, yeah, nice in a, you know, um, artistic he wasn't making jokes or something. I mean, that might have been a joke, I guess. But, yeah. you know, he wasn't sitting there having fun. He was very intense. Hmm. But, you know, I got used to that later on with all kinds of people I worked with. Right. Well, but, you've worked with a lot of people. And, I mean, I'd like to, you know, if you don't mind, just, like, you know, pick your head a little bit about some of these sure. guys. Because some of these people are people that I, I grew up I have, on. I still have something to, as far as that session, what came uh -huh. out of that, I played upright. And then after, like, three or four days of upright, None of the music, like I said, I wish I could go hear some of that stuff now. But um, then Van Morrison goes, asks, do you play bass, electric bass, or whatever he called it back then. Um, and I said, yeah, I have one. I didn't really play it. It was the one that I bought, the jazz. Right. It was just sitting around for years and years and years. So I went home, which was a couple miles away, luckily. Got it, came back, and... Played it on Cleaning Windows, that song. That, he, uh -huh. that was the hit on the record. Okay. Or the single. So, ironically, the one thing I ever did with a bass guitar was uh, with Van Morrison. Right. And it's the one that did That's the one after all the stuff you'd recorded with him that gets picked as the single. Yeah. Uh, okay. When they had singles. Right. <laughs> so, how did you get to play? I know you started Rat Dog with Bob Weir, right? Yeah. You guys actually started that together. How mm -hmm. did you get to know those guys? You know, how did that connection come around? Um, let's see. Oh, I was doing a benefit, uh, lending my time. I was putting, you know, in charge of, I was in charge of a benefit for the Mill Valley Film Festival. Um, okay. at, and it was going to be at this, it was being held at the Sweetwater, this little club in Mill Valley, California, that was... The original Sweetwater, it's no longer there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was trying to in invite people down there, so to you know to raise money for the film festival. And my duets album just came out; was released, I think, a few months earlier. The owner of the bar, um, Jeannie, was friends with Bob Weir, 
and she loved the record and she sent him a cop gave him a copy and invited him down and we hit it off and that ended up being one of the highlights of the evening and we just jammed as a duo we worked you know i learned a bunch of his tunes in the the basement of the club before the show i don't cool. even remember who else was there but there were a lot of local people right you know? and he showed up because he liked the record and, and um right after that we started playing as a duo and he invited me i think the next gig was at the bridge school benefit with neil young and jerry garcia and him then you played on like that a, less than a month later i played on that i played there and i played with that's when i played with him and Jerry Garcia and Neil Young and me and that was a great little it was a great experience for me I'll bet yeah, yeah. it was all acoustic and um, th then we put together a tour we wanted to do a tour and we opened I think our first tour was opening for the Garcia band wow and, sweet um, yeah so that's how that all happened wow so so was that that was Rat Dog then. Were you officially being um, as Rat Dog or just a duo? Just you no, Rat Dog came around. Uh, it was later. Six years or so later after our duo. That's we, a full band, right? Yeah. Yeah. One day, um, um, Bobby was doing some project where he wanted a drummer, and I just recorded with uh, drummer Jay Lane with uh, Les Claypool, who worked okay. with Prime, right. one of the early Primuses. And I was producing some. I think uh, Levi's ads somehow back then uh, where I got permission to pull in anyone I could get or wanted total artistic freedom so I did an ad with Les Claypool and, and he wanted to use Jay it was just two basses and drums right. and uh, I liked playing with Jay so Bobby wanted a drummer for something else and I brought Jay over to his house, uh, his studio, home studio, and we all hit it off. And then decided to start add like start a band, basically, right. not just start duo, which had been going on for years. Um, and that was the first Rat Dog. Okay. So what was what was a uh, what are those guys like? I mean, just just I think people would be interested just from somebody that's actually met him. I mean, there's a couple of folks you name there that are pretty much American icons. I mean, Garcia, right? You know, and Neil Young. You know, and the bridge, the bridge thing. That's for like Neil's kids have, what they have multiple sclerosis or not. I you know don't remember the exact thing, but it was something very serious. Well, it's, it's that uh, it's not MS. It's you know well that yeah, and and so that's a basically a, a a benefit gig, right? That he and his wife were doing, and did for years for the yeah, and they still do. That was the one time I, I did it. So, but then you toured with the Garcia band, you and Bobby. Well, we opened Open for, for the them. Garcia band. Did you know Garcia? Did you get to hang out with him at all? Um, not too much. We ended up re uh, recording. Mm -hmm. He ended up on my trio's album with Edie Bacall as a trio. And um, so that's how I got to know him. But uh, Bobby and I may, uh, primarily played live music together, right. performance, and been on zillion tours. Jerry, we opened for him, but we didn't really, it wasn't really hanging out. We just opened for him. Right. And it turned, someone released that finally last year as um, 
I think they called it the Long Island Sound Recordings. Right. It's us open, uh, our sets and Jerry's sets. And the Jerry Garcia band set. But he was great to record with, and there's a lot of, you know, I, I, the Edie, stuff we did with Edie was all improvisation, and then we turned them into songs somewhat. Right. You know. And then she'd sing over them? Or was she improvising well, with she you? Well, she sang, she improvised the words. Wow. And... Um, in his house at the time, and he played piano, and I played, um, I think it was electric upright bass, and um, they ended up being on the record. And Garcia played piano. Played piano, and then on the record he played piano and guitar. Right, I don't think I've ever heard him play piano. Because I mean, the dead, are I, that's a huge influence on me, you know? And uh, one of my favorites, you know, because uh, a few things that made me think I could actually do music you know, mm-hmm. uh, initially, like the Beatles, I just loved the Beatles as a, a tiny little kid. You know, they they actually yeah. seeped through down to like, you know, when I was a, you know, a child, I was a fairly young child. And then, uh, you know, like I said, I got into bluegrass, and that, you know, that was just something that I, I found interesting. You know, and mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I was looking to be like a bluegrass player or anything. But then, so I started kind of getting into some rock and roll. I got into jazz, and even that that was too intimidating. You know, I was mm-hmm. into like. Some of the stuff that was going on in the 70s, you know, Jocko, Stanley oh, Clark, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? These guys that were just, there was like, I can't do that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have the patience for it, you know, to, to like spend, you know, the time I did, you know, it just, it, it just seemed like I was just into it, you know, but then certain things, certain bands like Zappa, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I didn't think in any way that I could get to that level of playing it all or anything or, you know, that big of a grasp on music in any way but at least just the ideas behind it you know what i mean where there's a sense of humor and mm-hmm. there's a sense of, of whimsy you know what i mean and, and and right and and real you know uh you know just a blown out headspace you know and then the dead absolutely where it was like oh now they're even stoned it seemed to me you know i mean there's it's pretty obvious that there was some psychedelics uh-huh. involved with those people you know what i mean yeah. so it was kind of, suddenly i was like starting to now, now you're banging on a several cylinders of wine you know and then yet still have such a cool compositional stance, you know what I mean? They're great songs, you know, really, mm-hmm. really good songs. The lyrics are really cool, you know. They like the, the, the past that they bring into it, you know. Some of the references that, that mm-hmm. they get into, like Hunter gets into with his lyrics and whatnot, and amazing lyrics, you know, just just really cool stuff, you know. So it it starts to be have take on this human element that's just a little bit bigger than like rock and roll, the singing about you know something, that because it kind of I found it a little alienating in a way, rock and roll, you know, when I was a teenager. You know, but those guys, mm-hmm. and then plus the improvisational side of things, you know, mm-hmm. they brought that into it, you know, they brought in, and I, that I could relate to really heavily because I've, I've just mm-hmm. found that I like to fart around on the guitar, you know, mm-hmm. it was like the bass is cool, it's like, you know, but I was just never like that great at being the bass player, like some bass players are so good at just pasting down the low end, they do their part and they mm-hmm. only do their part, you know, and I could do my parts, but then I loved it too, though, to like just go, well, let's go off someplace, you know, together and oh, yeah. see what happens, you know. Well, that's, I guess that's what the dead did. You know, and, um, and, that's what, and that influenced the hell out of us, you know, that definitely, yeah. you know, because, I mean, still we'll, we'll start from a song and then let it, you know, if it wants to, take its, its head and run with it, you know, in a way, you know, and, and head off into wherever, wherever you know. And, uh, you know, not being, like, schooled, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like a lot of it relies on luck. If needs be, I'll, I'll turn it into performance art. You yeah. Know, and, and, you know, it'll turn well, into. Well, that's just being able to, it's instincts too. And, uh, you know, 
not a, I don't think a lot of I haven't played in a lot of planned jams and when they are plan when they are repetitive like where you do the same thing you've done the last show right it starts getting boring you know right. it's better to like not know what you're doing a lot of the time oh yeah or well, let yourself not know well you can count on me to not know what i'm doing <laughs> that's for sure you know and but i mean i just love that you know and, and it, those guys showed you know i saw that you know like rock and roll it could be like a rock show you know it mm -hmm. could have these other elements that i started to dig you know the cool attention to detail that they had you know and also that i mean that you know how they put so much back into like 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 their sound reinforcement you mm -hmm. know how good they were about that you know Mm -hmm. I saw them live probably four or five times. Oh and, yeah, they were you know, into that stuff. I mean, you could just hear like the you know one of my favorite bass players, Phil Lesh, you know. Uh -huh. And there's a guy that like, you, you know, you're talking about picking up the electric bass and viewing it as a new instrument. I mean, oh, yeah. a, as I understand it, he was, you know, talked into joining the band, or they decided, you know, by Jerry, right. you know, who knew him as a as a cool head, obviously, or somebody that you could relate to or something, you know, on a musical level. And, but he wasn't a bass player at all, and he actually took up the bass to play with the dead, as I understand it. You know, but he had but, a whole but, different approach. And, but he, but he was schooled already. You know, he'd already been like studying like composition, and, right. and I think he played, you know, a horn Trumpet of some sort, or some sort something. of horn, French horn or something. You know, and yeah, flugelhorn. Well, you can it was. hear in his bass playing, he's got a different approach. And I think when I was around fifteen or sixteen, I went to hear them because I used to venture off into San Francisco. Mm -hmm. They used to play smaller places. Well, obviously, <laughs> it was somewhere on the beach, and San Francisco is no longer there. And I don't remember what it was called, but I went in there, and you know, you can actually just walk in, buy a ticket, walk around, and it really affected me because, uh, you know, I was never fanatic, but I, I enjoyed the improvisation. Yeah. I always liked that, and, and they were really good at it. They were really, really good at it, you know. And, and they t they talk about that. I've read, you know, them talking about that group mind that came together, like in like in like out of the acid test or something, you know, where everybody's just stoned as fuck, and you know, <laughs> you know, suddenly you're all on the same wavelength, and you know. But then like sending each other little musical cues, and it's all about listening, I guess, in a way. But with Lesh, I was. I was just always amazed for one thing, be that stoned and to not mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, get naked and smash your shit. You know, it's like mm. maybe it happened and they just don't, you know, they don't publicize it that much. But to, to keep it together so well, you know, to really keep it together. And uh, I read something by him recently where he's talking about his influences. And it's like 15th and 16th century composers, you know, these guys that I've never heard of, you know, this mm -hmm. kind of stuff that's like, that's who your influences Jerry? are. No, uh, Phil. Oh, Phil. Phil, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah like, no, he, I, re I don't know. But I read stuff like that too. Yeah. Uh, who were you into as bass? Did, were, were you into bassists? I mean, oh you, yeah, like like who? Like the who? first one I ever listened to was, um, aside from the obvious, like the Beatles. Right. And even though I didn't like them when everyone else liked them, uh -huh. I started really loving them. Right. But it took me a while to let go of like. I was always like, you know, I was playing the violin when everyone else was wearing wigs, right. Beatles, wigs. Beetle boots. And all that stuff, and you know, I don't, I still don't like pop, popular fads and things. Right. But I ended up loving the Beatles eventually. But right. my first, the first bass player I somehow bought a record of, and I don't even know why, was Charles Mingus. Oh, there you go. Uh, I, I saw started, Charles Mingus once. Yeah. I He's one of the largest men I've ever seen. I read his book. I bought all his records. I. Uh, you know, love. That was my first bass person that I just uh, 
and I couldn't really, un- I didn't even understand why. I just, you know, I connected with his style of bass playing and his innovation. And um, every once in a while, I'll hear him again or listen to him and think, oh, yeah, that's why. Because it's just amazing. Um, he had a he had a skill uh, improvising and composing, or composing his improvisations, sort of, which is what I'm. Uh, my goal is to be like that in the sense that, because I'm good at improvising, but to to take your ideas and turn them into compositions, that's another thing, and he was able to do that, and he also did all these sounds that I love, bowed sounds and odd sounds, and you know, it's just. Real innovative. You know, oddly enough, years ago, now it's been years ago, um, we got asked to do a, a, a photo for the Rolling Stones' 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Like they, were, they were just featuring bands, photos of bands, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we did it up in New York, and it, we went down to the, the meat district, which at the time was, <laughs> was kind of crusty, you know? Oh, it was, was kind of smelly and nasty down there, you know? Yeah. And we decided we were going to dress up like uh, women of the night, if you will, you know. Uh, it, <laughs> That's it, it who was, were down there. I you know, think. I mean, it was kind of you know, it was kind of rough part of town. And so, I mean, we just blew it out like you know, straight up like Hookerville. <laughs> and uh, the stylist on the gig was Mingus's daughter. Oh, you're kidding! You know, and I was just like, whoa, you know. You know, I told you we were talking about David Grisman earlier before we started yeah. recording, and I ran into. Monroe is that his son's name? Yeah. One time, and and just you know, I was curious. You know, I was like, is your pops a happy guy? You know, does he? You know, did music? You know, has it been a satisfying life for him? And I was asking her the same thing. You know, just checking it out, and and uh, and I was just like, it's just kind of odd, you know, like to to run into somebody like that, mm-hmm. and fun. And the photo shoot came out absolutely amazing. I mean, we're like wearing these short, you know, lycra dresses or whatever <laughs> the stuff is made out of. The whole nine yards, like little blonde wigs, makeup, high heels. We're all sitting there. Dudes are driving by, like honking at us and stuff. You know, <laughs> it's a, it's, you know that photo I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's, photo. it's a good picture. Right. You know, so Mingus's daughter's a good stylist. And she's a good stylist. She made wow. us look. She made us look absolutely outrageous. So, yeah. so Mingus, who else? I mean, jazz guys. You know, um, well, Mingus was the one I was the first jazz player I remember hearing, and then I think I listened to just started listening to a lot of different jazz guys. Um, Miles, da- you know, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, people that I would, whenever I need inspiration, I'll listen to now. Right. Still amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Incredible. Well, more amazing now because there hasn't been too many people like that since. I mean, you listen to Coltrane. It, it just <laughs> bends my head, you know, something like that. And, and, and you know, it gets back to Garcia in a way because I definitely read him talking about how he wanted to get, you know, like be able to get the guitar to be able to blow like a horn kind of, you know, kind of do horn lines like in a way, me. you know. But you listen to somebody like Coltrane, you know, uh, or, you know, Bird or whatever, you know, it's just these guys that, like, the ability, first of all, to have that much of an imagination, that that creativity, you know what I mean? And then the technical ability to to, it. to yeah. pull it off, like, live like that while you're improvising, just these, these, little, these little lines that go out, and it's just like a, a level of musicianship that's, you know. Yeah. You know. If I ever, you know, like I said, if for inspiration, just listen to any of those people. Um, whenever I hear Mingus, I think I should just be studying him again because he's so amazing. And um, I think I'm just trying to remember what I listened to back then, but it was mainly like Frank Zappa, right. 
Um, I went, I saw him live, luckily, at that same place. I saw the dead. And I wasn't even trying to see anybody. I just was like going out right. as a young teenager thinking, this is fun. Right. <laughs> you know, I'll get to be out and lo- hear music. I didn't even know who they were at the time. Then I got, bought the records. Right. Um, Bill Evans, the piano player, oh, yeah. I listened to a lot. Um, Ornette Coleman, actually. Um, i trying to remember. I didn't listen to a lot of rock that's interesting. I mean, because it's a lot of stuff that I, same stuff that I got into in a way. You yeah, know? I didn't listen to a, a lot of rock because it maybe. was like. Yeah, I, I, don't I, know I why. you know, by the time I got into like rock was going on, it was like, uh, I mean, I dug the Beatles as a kid, you know. They were and, prime, yeah. As a little kid, you know, as a little kid, it was. Just oh, blues guys, I listened to too. Blues like, guys as well. Who some of whom I got to play with, like Willie Dixon. Wow. I got to play with him. Um, and hang out with him. A bit before he died but I listened to a lot of blues people when I was starting I don't even know why I think it's because I could play blues easier right <laughs> it's like easy to remember three notes but uh you know they influenced all the you know Rolling Stones oh, heavily. everyone yeah incredibly a whole lot and um, you know what's his name Lead Belly oh I listened to a lot of Woody Guthrie and I ended up doing a Woody Guthrie album but I, that was one of the first people I heard listened to when I was before I, pl- you know, when I was trying to play that folk guitar and all uh-huh. that. Listen to all those old recordings. Woody Guthrie, wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, I definitely got into the jazzier side of stuff, you know, <laughs> at a point, you know, and then and Zappa, you know, and you talked about like. Zappa was very complex. Oh, incredible! Like, you know, I could never figure out what exactly was going on back then. It would be fun to listen to him now and see. If it's yeah. still just mind-bending, you know? You yeah. listen to it now, and, you know, it's still just absolutely some of the stuff, you know, compositionally and whatnot, just, and how good of a band leader he was, you know, how much he must have made those people practice, you know? Oh you know, just whipping them into shape, and to, to take a band after band, you know, and, and to be have that much vision, you know, and to be that, you know, to know what you're trying to get to. And, and an interesting story, self-taught, you know? Guy, like, studied <laughs> on his own, you know, and learned all that. Yeah, know? I saw him the same venue and it was like uh, he was conducting his orchestra yeah it was really amazing yeah so then (laughs) well a couple more people i just want to mention you you played with brian wilson yeah um brian wilson um i met him yeah i played with him he was on my trios album with carney wilson um and it was an interesting story because um i met him Oh, he came, oh, that's right. He came to a Lou Reed concert and uh, came up to me and and said he liked my bass playing. <laughs> so uh-huh. I was like, oh, this is great. Brian Wilson. And then I, got, we got in touch with each other and, and before he was, well, he was um, sort of in an odd phase, you know, very pre- hard to reach. Uh-huh. And he had this guy, Dr. Landy. Yeah, Eugene Landy. Oh, you were during the Dr. Landy period. Yeah. Oh, I was, wow. And so I'd just go hang out with him and write music. and j- Well, more like jam and try to write songs. And I came to L.A. to see him. And um, there are all these weird characters floating around his studio. But um, that's kind of a that's kind of a, a, a cycle from the, mm-hmm. the 60s on of having weird people around Brian, I think. Yeah, that was a inner. Uh, it was, then all of, you know, it was a 
a phase. I don't really know what you would call that phase with him, but it was just me and him hanging out. With Dr. Landy would allow us me to visit because he controlled everything at that point with Brian. Yeah, we went to a, a in store here in town. We were uh-huh. really into the Beach Boys once the band had started and stuff. Going back to rock and roll in a way, you know, I actually kind of right. went back to rock and roll and started, you know, fell in love with stuff that as a kid I'd just had hadn't, hadn't been cool enough to get into maybe or something or maybe I didn't like my peers enough or whatever the, it was, you know, it was <laughs> too intimidating something. But stuff that I went back to later and really really fell in love with and definitely was way into the Beach Boys when we were in town and he was doing a in store tower and we popped over there to do it and there's a huge line you know we're standing in line and uh, at one point somebody actually came over and told my brother stop staring at brian you know because you know something <laughs> like this right and then you know and landy was standing right there next to him you know mm-hmm. and i remember we got up to the thing and we brought him like a t-shirt or something you know one of our the band's shirts or maybe a record even or something and we go brian love your stuff you know love your stuff whatever you know the kind of thing you'd say to somebody like that and here we brought this down and he takes it and he goes for me you know that's why you know, he's like <laughs> you know yeah i it was a great experience for me, um, but I, I invited him to be on the Trios album because I was looking for collaborators, and we were already friends. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but there was no Dr. Landy anymore, and um, that allowed me to bring in Carney Wilson. His I, daughter. I thought it would be really powerful, if it worked, to connect them again because they hadn't been seen each other for many years and wow. they weren't allowed it was a weird thing yeah. i don't even know exactly what happened mm. but i somehow reached her and they connect reconnected and wanted to work together and it was a very powerful experience and we had written a song um i'd actually wrote some lyrics for it and it ended up and the music with him and it ended up on this record and she came in and just be- beautiful lead vocal it was great because he taught me how to sing. I actually, on my records, I just allow myself to do whatever things I'm not supposed to do, and he taught me how to sing harmony with him, right. just for that, which I haven't done since. And he taught me um, tambourine, because right. it was only supposed to be three people, so I couldn't hire a. T- that was the rules, so everything uh-huh. had to be just us. So he didn't. He played tambourine, but he didn't want to, so I had to play. So it. he had to teach you how to do it. That was really difficult. Well, I mean, that's it like, sounds simple, but oh, it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you had the opportunity to play with some of, you know, American, just, you know, a rock and roll classics and icons or whatever, the, you know, whatever the word is. And he's I mean, just a great just, guy. You know, he's a great guy. He's a great person. You know, and I mean, I wonder, you know, you look at some of these folks like Garcia, uh, you played with Lou Reed, like you said, for a long time, you know, and Brian Wilson. I mean, is there something about the artistic mind that, hmm. you know, does, which comes first, the, uh, the, the nuttiness or the of the art or is the art drive them nutty or are they already nutty in the first place or are they not nutty they're just they're just everyone's different everybody's different you know yeah, yeah. and they maybe it's just because they're in the public spotlight so suddenly their foibles and their the details of who they are the specifics are yeah. so on display well, so lou, lou is lou is just a really demanding um, <laughs> artist you know he just right. expected we rehearsed and you know i want to apply some of that to to take what I've learned from him and apply it to, you know, like I don't want to stop playing bass guitar now because I finally started. Right. So I want to use it on my own projects because of him. But we'd rehearse 10, 12-hour days and it, it would wow. never be enough for him. Really? Oh. And we really did. There was not much improvisation in those shows 
but it taught you know but what what there was was very powerful because everything every note counted right i i think the first time i ever saw you play was with lou reed i'm dating myself now i think it was 88 (laughs) was after the new york album yeah for the new york and i i was telling chris like you guys tore through white light white heat in i think a (laughs) minute and one second playing the entire song and you were just the whole time were just and i was was like wow (laughs) that's like because it it was just this big powerful rock band and i i'd only heard of you kind of at that point more as a kind of jazz yeah you know guy and that was was, a quartet it was very impressive it was like who was the guitar player in that mike rathke okay yeah he's one of my oldest and best friends um dating back to then wow so would you call Lou Reed a nice guy? To me. He was nice to I you. mean, yeah. I don't know if everyone would say that. <laughs> he was very intense. You know? He was intense? Yeah. I just It's hard for me because I even a few years after his passing, I think, oh, I've got to get ready for this European tour. We mainly played in Europe. But we did a lot of innovative stuff. We did a tour with me and Fernando Saunders and Lou. Two oh. bass players, just nothing else. He wanted to do something. I saw Fernando playing with uh, Jean Luc Pony, I think. Yeah, he's an incredible bass player. And we did it like two years or so as two bass players. I don't know why Lou wanted that, but it was, uh, it was, he was so open to new things, you know? Wow. Um, and then we really had to work out stuff so we wouldn't ruin the music because it was such a low end, you right. know? And Lou has a lot of low end. and. But yeah, he's, Lou is very demanding. That's all what I remember. Is you go every time you did a gig with him, it was not a vacation. You were really challenged. You wow. Know. I, you know, and like I said, like one of the last things I did with him, I um, literally like the first gig. All of a sudden, I was told. Well, we really like the bass guitar, so can you play, you know, seven more tunes on it? And I was really out of my comfort zone, but then I realized, oh, you know, what do I got to lose? Just have fun and do it. (laughs) Better now than never, as they say. (laughs) What's going on now? What are you working on these days? Well, I'm doing a variety of things that um, my, my, what I do when I'm in L.A., is I'm composing, like, a scoring to Veronica, uh, my wife's uh, storytelling. Okay. And we're creating some new a new project that's oh, cool. um, new projects that are, you know, my writing to her great stories. And to me, that's really exciting. We're going to put that out, these things out. And is, does she read, talk the stories? Kind of. Um, right now, she. It's mainly yeah, but we we may bring in. If we want, we're not sure if we're going to bring in other people. It's uh, it's like she was an actress in New York, uh-huh. and um, so she's really good at telling the stories. And some of, and we're also writing some songs, but um, we're creating stories that might be even theatrical presentations. Oh, cool! But um, right now, I'm thinking of as these are scores for her, for um, her stories. Yeah, and that's something that I'm re- we're really. I'm very excited about and think that it will be is my next thing as far as uh, creative stuff right not you know because I've done a lot of collaborative albums where with uh, 
you know, different artists, but just something that I think is the next phase that um, is pushing my limits because they're scores and they're they're not songs, right? You know, and they're great stories and beautiful stories, and um, also we're applying some of it's about um, to to help people heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's writing story, you know, we're writing stories and music to actually to make people f- not just feel better, but actually um, bring healing to to the audience or whatever it is, you know. Um, it's hard to explain, but I'm drawing on a lot of roots music too. There you go. Um, and playing all the parts myself, but I'm, you know, my challenge is I'm going to bring in, you know, different players and arrange and orchestrate everything. Right. Uh, which is something I'm loving to do now. Right. And then as far as gigs go, um, my next performance, um, I'm really sort of, since uh, I'm letting go of some stuff because there's no Lou Reed now, it's just his music yeah. and different things are happening. So my next thing is with Laurie Anderson. Um, the performance artist and Yeah, singer. she invited me to play with her on, um, I don't know if it's time sensitive, but it, on May 30th at the San Francisco Jazz Center a new place up there and we're gonna that's something that we're gonna improvise no rehearsal an evening of uh with no rehearsal yeah cool that's something she wants to do and i won't really want to do and um so i'm excited about that and then i just did a, a track with um victor from the violent femmes the percussionist oh cool he's doing a producing and i did a track for him um those guys were old pals. Victor De Lorenzo. That was a lot of fun. I'm going to do more with him this summer. and um, That's a band that's kind of bass-led in a way. I mean, you know, the... Oh, yeah. You know, the singer, guitar player, you know, writes the songs and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, but Brian always... Brian Ritchie, the bass player in that band, you know, he played an acoustic electric. Oh, yeah, know? no, I love always, that. Yeah, tasty lines, you know. It was always a real kind of technical side of things going on there so that's where i'm doing what i'm doing right now uh, sounds fun sounds yeah. fun and and the challenge is you know i mean that's what makes it fun you know it's cool that you get to do so much stuff with different folks like that you know but my you know sum it up my veronica's happy my wife's veronica's happy if i just stay in town and do film scores or music for tv yeah it's sense. tough the touring's tough because the, I've toured my whole life, right? Basically. And it's tough on the family. It's tough on yeah. the folks you leave behind sometimes. A little so, bit can be. So it's nice to be focused on that now, actually, and, and doing something with your wife. That's cool. Yeah. Well, she's you know independent of being my wife. She's she's really she's like a terrific uh, writer, right. speaker, storyteller. Act. You know. So it's we're we're this new thing is. You know, composing and score, scoring for her uh, and our project is, I'm excited, you know. It's, yeah. Instead of a duets album or trios album, it's going to be that. Yeah, and it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, to still be excited about playing music considering you've, you know, been doing it for a while. I mean, it's still, I still find that I oh, like yeah. the feel of the, of the thing in my hands, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that every time I pick up the string bass or the bass, any bass, or now I'm just trying to allow myself to let go and 
you know, play these other instruments I've, I've collected. Right. Um, it's that feeling, you know. Yeah. Every time I pick up the string bass, I remember when I was 18. Yeah. Coming to going home. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, thanks for coming down. Thank you very and, much. Yeah, uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks really very much, great. man. Today's show was recorded at Winslow Court Studios in Hollywood, California.